like to hear a story about how I hate myself. We, always. <laughs> always. I don't know if you saw it, but just the other day, probably yesterday, um, I posted on Instagram in my stories yeah. this video. It's a really fucking awesome video that somebody made. I don't know who, but it's like a montage of all these movies and TV shows that are about witches. Oh. And playing in the background is this really pretty and kind of ethereal cover of Season of the Witch all by right. Donovan. And I was, I kept watching it over and over again. And I was like, I really fucking like this song. This is like a really good cover. This is great. I wonder who sang it. Oh, no. And then I Googled it. And guess who it's by? No. Guess who it's by? No, I'm not. (laughs) Lana Del Rey. And that's when I wanted to crawl under my couch and just die with all the dust bunnies that are under there. And, um... I hate myself now. You gotta, you gotta cut your ears off. Yeah, that's what that's what that well, means. Then I immediately did another Google search for other covers of Season <laughs> of the Witch, <laughs> and arguably Joan Jett's is better. All right, so I'm going go. with Joan Jett. All right, steps better. That's, that's carved in stone. Joan Jett's Season of the Witch is better than Lana Del Rey. Yep. Yeah. Most things are. I still really like that video, though. All right, fair enough. You're allowed. I'll show it to you later. Oh, yeah, you will. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> We're going to show you guys all our goods. Where we refuse to like Lana Del Rey doing anything. Nope. Even if we like it, we're like, well, guess I can't like that I anymore. hate it now. Yeah. We're actually your podcast bringing you stories and tales and sweet treats from the world of music. And this week we have a we have a fun modern sweet treat. A little, a little yeah. cupcake of a modern artist. Yeah. Somebody relevant. Like, yeah. still. <laughs> still making new music. Yeah, we're going to talk about Run the Jewels. Hell yeah, Run the Jewels back. Yeah. Run the Run the Jewels back. Run, run, run it, run it, run it, run it. <laughs> and we're going to do that a lot. We're going to pretend we are turntables. Yes. Or I'm just going to pretend I'm a cat noise. Meow, 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 That is relevant to this story. That is relevant. More artists need to make cat versions of their albums. Yeah. I'm going to say, do. I'm just going to say that. Already. Already. I'm coming in with the Already hot takes. Already blowing it up for me. Already. <laughs> coming in with the hot takes about cats. I want more cat songs. Fair enough. I mean. Cat rap. Remember Meow Mix did like the fucking random cat songs yes. that we were like obsessed with They're for really a hot good. The black metal one was really good. We stand by this. I believe we've talked about this at least twice before at on least. the podcast. They really made an impression on yeah. us. And it might be because that we're was... usually drinking when we hear them. And honestly, really good marketing for honestly. Meow Mix. Whoever was the spearhead of that <laughs> really, they need a race. Yeah. They really, guys, Meow Mix. Yeah. Give them a race. Yeah. Give them, give those cats a raise. Give those cats a raise. They deserve it for all the corpse paint they yeah. had to do. <laughs> give them a raise so they can get some beers. And speaking of beers, yep, drinking some thematic beers, kinda tonight. Well, we did have oh, a completely on point, on theme beer that was a collaboration between Modest Brewing Company Is and it Ma- Modest. Modest. Oh, I always say it wrong. I, I think it's modest. I always, I always modest. I don't know. No, do I. 
Now, Let us know. Now I'm questioning everything. Um, <laughs> a lot of but it, a lot of Del Rey now modus. I know. Who am I? <laughs> um, so it was a collaboration between them and Run the Jewels. And it was for Run the Jewels. And I got a four pack of it. Well, and it was I, really for Cyberpunk 2077. Was it? Yeah. Because the, it was called um, No Save Point. No safe, yeah. I think it's no, no safe, safe point. point. Yeah, because that's the song they wrote for Cyberpunk twenty whatever. Oh, I didn't know that, and I even Cyberpunk it up. Dick twenty twenty. Yeah, Cyber Dick twenty twenty. Cyber Dick. It's all all I know about that game is dicks and glitches. Glitch Dick. <laughs> glitch Dick. Glitch Dick twenty twenty. Yeah, that's what that's, it is. But that's how I'll refer to twenty twenty from now on. Glitch um. Dick. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I gave them to my boyfriend to drink and I said, save me one because I need to take a picture of it. And I need to drink it. And Maggie needs to drink it. And he drank them all. And then when I remembered that I needed to take a picture, somehow they miraculously all were gone out of my house. And you're like, not even in my recycling bin. And I have no idea where they went. So, and guess what? No fucking beer store in our immediate area has anymore because I got the last four packs. So So out of my anger and upsetment (laughs) at your boyfriend, I've grabbed from Dewclaw Brewing a uh, beer called Hoodwink because we were hoodwinked by your boyfriend. He, he hoodwinked us. It's a faux Brett IPA. I've not yeah. actually opened this yet, but it actually sounds really good because it's an IPA that like has like mango and pineapple. So, oh, it's a faux Brett? No, so it's just an IPA. I don't know what that means. I don't know either. You know what? I don't know, but I'm going to give it a shot. Also, Duclaw, even with IPAs, rarely does me wrong. Yeah. But also, right- and also, I got one from yeah. Bell Brewing called Kalamazoo Stout because yeah. they have a song called Holy Kalamafuck. Holy Kalamafuck. <laughs> I mean, I just do like Holy Kalamafuck. I just like saying it. So Holy Kalamafuck. And it's uh, a pretty standard stout, but it's yeah. not bad. I mean, I am not in a stout mode right now because it is yeah. too fucking hot. I also, it, it was warm when I bought it and it's still kind of warm when you're drinking it. And um, that's just it's not. It's like room temp now. Yeah. Which is better than when it came in. <laughs> no, I would say it's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It really it's doesn't. Fine. It's fine. It's a stout. It's, it's a drinkable. St- you know, it's a very like sturdy stout. Sturdy stout. And despite what an old man told me last week, it is not stout season. So don't get mad at a brewery for not bringing stouts to a fucking event. It's very much not stout season. Sorry, you're the one man who who wanted a stout. Wanted a dark beer. So sorry. I'm not. Fuck off. You know what? I'm not sorry. Stop giving me attitude. I know what I'm talking about. And tonight, <laughs> we're talking about Run the Jewels. Yeah, so... So actually, you know what you're talking about, so tell me about it. I will. <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right, buckle up, kids. Okay, Run the Jewels might be the most contemporary group we've talked about on this show so far, but these guys have roots in hip-hop that go deep. Killer Mike and LP already had careers before teaming up to form Run the Jewels, and considering their amazing rapport... You would think these guys have been friends for ages, but that's not the case. They didn't actually meet until 2011, and before that, the two rappers had their own solo careers. So how did they come together and take over the world as the premier hip-hop duo? The story is more interesting than you think. How did they come together and become the world's premier hip-hop duo? I missed half of it. What happened? (laughs) What happened? What happened? (laughs) 
First, let's tackle each of their solo stories. Okie doke. Up first, Killer Mike. Born Michael Santiago Render on April 20th, 1975, Killer Mike grew up in Collier Heights, a neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia. He was blessed with a big family that truly showed up to raise him together. Hmm. When Mike was born, his parents were very young. His father was 19 and his mother, Denise, was only 16. But don't get it twisted. The pregnancy was planned. Denise, that's actually crazy (laughs) to me. (laughs) Denise wanted a child because she was an only child and she was more than prepared to balance motherhood and school. So she did it. Holy shit. All right. And after high school, Denise started her own florist company. She was a very artistic woman, and that showed in her beautiful flower arrangements. Oh, my God. This is the most unique story of a parent I've already heard. It is. And, like, the way he talks about his family is truly amazing because he really loves every single person Mm. in his family. And it really took, like, his entire family to raise him and his two sisters. Oh, okay. And it's very, very sweet and very nice. And he really got a lot of valuable nuggets of life, you know, from everybody that raised him. Life lessons. Exactly. Her flower arrangements were mostly purchased by wealthy white women who eventually started asking Denise for less legal arrangements. What? (laughs) I'm assuming because these white people... She was the only black person that they knew, so they thought, oh, black person, they probably know where to get drugs. Hello, Miss Black Person. Do you know where I can get the cocaine? Where can I get the marijuana leaves? Uh, Can you make me a bouquet of that? I will do the rest. (laughs) The bouquet of marijuana. And poor, I forgot her name. Denise. Poor Denise is probably just like, no, I just, I just arranged flowers, like just roses lilacs yeah sunflowers some lilies you want an orchid i can get you an orchid can you get me an opium flower (laughs) that's not even a thing ma'am some poppies maybe (laughs) i'll just rub them on my teeth (laughs) (laughs) fucking white people fucking white people. anyway eventually denise realized she actually could make some extra cash selling cocaine to these wealthy people i mean she's not wrong so she did it how do you just, how does one just begin to sell cocaine? I think from what I understand of the family dynamics here, Mike's uncle was a little more street smart than everyone else in the family. Okay. But like the way he put it, and I, I truly know nothing about Atlanta or the neighborhoods there, but from what I understand, people in Collier Heights and other neighborhoods that were uh, like black neighborhoods of means mm-hmm. um everyone there kind of did sell drugs oh okay to each other and to other like white people in other areas um but they were also business people so they weren't mm. people just like hustling on the street they were people that drove trucks had florists uh worked at grocery stores had like legitimate fucking jobs but also they sold crack and and weed on the side because they're like, we don't make enough fucking money on our day job. Well, I mean, they kind of did. Oh. But they could make a little extra and be a little bit happier than they would be if they didn't. You know what? You I'm know not going mean? to knock it. I'm not going to knock it either. Because they were providing a service that these uppity white fucking assholes wanted. Yep. And they weren't doing it in any sleazy kind of way or anything like that. Yeah. 
So I, as far as dealing drugs go, this is the most legitimate way to do it. This sounds like the most legitimate drug deal I've ever heard of in my life. Literally. But also, I'm just like, make drugs legal. I don't care anymore. I don't fucking care. Like, just make it legal. Yeah. It's fine. Meanwhile, Mike's father went off to the police academy. Interestingly. Okay, <laughs> hold up. Yeah. He and Denise never married and did not stay together. Oh. But he did continue to be a presence in Mike's life. Oh. But Mike's parents were still kids and still wanted to live their lives. Yep. So Denise's parents took Mike in and raised him during his formative years. Interesting. Yeah. The way he put it was that his grandparents were really like the solid foundation that he needed. They were the people that raised him. Mm-hmm. Whereas his mom and his dad um, were kind of like periphery parents. Yeah. Who kind of like were the fun people to hang around with. That's still like... <laughs> Were his parents, but were fun to hang around with. His grandparents were fun, too. Yeah. But it literally took this entire village to raise him. Hmm. And the grandparents were, like, the solid foundation, and his actual parents were the ones who gave him real, like, street smarts and formative lessons and also kind of lived their own lives at the same time. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, being raised by his grandparents gave Mike a solid foundation. They took him to church, made sure he went to school, and taught him right from wrong and how to say yes, sir, and no, sir. He learned from them how to be politically active and to stand up for his own rights, but also learned the difference between class and race. Interesting. Yeah, his grandparents, his dad, or his grandfather was definitely more libertarian mm-hmm. and was very like pro gun rights and wow. a little and like fiscally conservative but liberal minded yeah and his grandmother looked up more to like democrats yeah. and left leaning politicians yeah so and from what i know about killer mike when he gets older this all checks oh absolutely <laughs> His mom was still very much involved in his upbringing, and by now she had gotten married to a man named Anthony. Anthony was another huge influence on Mike, who would consider him a father just as much as his biological father. And this was the man who introduced him to comic books, cars, and all the fun shit boys like. Ooh, so he's like the fun guy. Yeah, he's he's super fun. He's fun stepdad. Yeah. (laughs) Mike attended Frederick Douglass High School, where he took his studies pretty seriously. His teachers took particular interest in him, like art teacher William Murray, who mentored Mike even after he graduated, teaching him history, photography, painting, and even vegetable gardening, which Mike continues as a hobby to this day. I love it. Another was his fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Ely, whom Mike divulged to that he wanted to be a rapper when he grew up. Nice. She responded with, maybe you should be a pilot. <laughs> he eventually did enroll in piloting classes what? and now that is a hobby as well but the Jeez. desire to be a rapper never left him either i love this kid's hobbies it's like i'm gonna make some ve- or i'm gonna plant some veggies yeah and i'm gonna go fly a plane but like then i'm gonna like give you some real fucking beats on the stage man yeah. and he also said that mrs ely was the first teacher to tell him that he was smart oh and he is incredibly smart. He's super intelligent. Like, just find some 
speech or some like interview with him Mm. he is one of the smartest people i have ever listened to in my life seriously he can just rattle off facts like history facts like nobody's business i'm like where were you when i needed like help remembering all of the fucking dates for all of the art history classes that i was taking in college because i need a mind like that (laughs) give me your brain seriously i can't remember shit no and this guy can quote like Martin Luther King's speeches word for word. The entire thing. Literally. Oh, my God. Being raised in the secure and balanced household of his grandparents, but influenced by his free-spirited mother and father, gave Mike a two-sided childhood. He did well in school, but by the time he was 14, he was selling drugs, too. Because he had a policeman father, he learned how to avoid getting any charges against him, but also how to respect cops. What is this mythological unicorn of a human? I don't know. Absolutely a unicorn. But also, I fucking respect that. Killer Mike, the unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) That should have been his rapper name. (laughs) The unicorn. He can always always do a side project. Unicorn Mike. His name might be Mike, but he is one of a kind. He really is. Mike quickly realized that selling drugs was not the life he wanted for himself. He really thought about whom he was selling to. Mm. It wasn't just addicts on the street. It was real people. Right. He once sold cocaine to a pregnant woman and felt such deep regret for it that he just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. I mean, yeah, fair. Yeah. Not going to argue with that. Yeah. He rapped about it on the um, Run the Jewel song Crown in a verse that was so off the cuff that it even freaked him out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Go listen to that song because he definitely talks about it and like the super deep regret that he had for, you know, selling to a pregnant woman and like what could possibly have happened to her or mm. the baby mm. if like what he sold to her had like an effect on either one of them yeah oh that's awful he put his dealer days to bed and graduated high school and before long he was following in the footsteps of his own parents he became a parent to son malik at age 19 and just like his mother he decided to balance parenting with education he enrolled in morehouse college in 1995 to study philosophy and religion again the smarts on this fucking dude i'm so jealous And although his tenure only lasted one year, he made very important connections while there. Hmm. The first was CeeLo Green. Uh, Sure. uh, Okay. uh, Okay. Then part of the group Goody Mob. He gave CeeLo a mixtape of songs he recorded on equipment he hustled to buy himself. Nice. He and CeeLo became tight friends. He then met the Beat Bullies, a production duo that then introduced Mike to Big Boy, who would become one half of Outcast. Okay. Lucky. Is, oh my gosh. <laughs> Fucking lucky. But then again, all of them are from Atlanta. I was going to say, the Atlanta scene is a lot Hot. bigger than they get credit for. Yeah. Hotlanta. It is Hotlanta for a reason. Hotlanta. Big Boy was impressed with Mike's skills, intelligence, and willingness to learn, ultimately signing him to his Purple Ribbon record label. Say that five times fast. Purple Ribbon Record Label. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. His musical debut was on the Outcast song Snappin' and Trappin' off their much-heralded 2000 album Stankonia. Mm. But his name is even more known for his guest spot on Outcast's hit The Whole World, which won a Grammy in 2003 for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group. 
I feel really dumb yeah. that I never realized that was Killer Mike. Yeah. And the whole world, world loves it when we're white. <laughs> we don't know the words. I just I don't know the words to anything. Yeah. That same year, Mike released his debut album titled Monster. It did pretty well, landing in the top 10 in the U.S. Billboard 200 chart. Oh, shit. Its success was helped by the first single, Adidas. Yes, that Adidas. The same as the corn song, Adidas, All Day I Dream About Sex. Oh, but I bet his is better. It's a little catchier, less boom, chia, boom, boom, chia. Yeah. Day I dream this angry white boy scatting. <laughs> yeah, Adidas was a smooth jam featuring Big Boy and Sleepy Brown. And although the song was popular, Mike disavows it now, saying it was an outcast song he was instructed to release and he hates it. No shit. Yeah, he really doesn't like it. Oh, I, I can understand. No, I, I, I just didn't realize that Big Boy would be like, hey, release one of our songs. I could 100% picture Killer Mike being like, I would prefer to do my own work, sir. And he's like, nah, put my shit out. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I have much of a choice, do I? I also think a lot of it was because like it was it was a song about just like fucking women. Yeah. And from I think uh, at least at this point, he was definitely with his future wife, Shanna. It's either Shanna or Shanna. I'm not sure. Forgive me. I'm going to say Shanna. Okay. Um, so he was with Shayna at this point, and he went through a streak where he was just like cheating on her all the time. Oh no! And it was just a bad time oh, for no. them. So I think he kind of disavows it because it probably reminds him of when he was doing shit like that. Yeah. But like, they got married in 2006, and they have four beautiful children together. Wow! So that's a lot of beautiful children. Yeah. For the next eight years, Mike released music in fits and starts. He continued collaborating with other artists, including Chameleon Air, T.I., and with Outkast on their album Speaker Box, The Love Below. Oh, yeah. His own second album was shelved because of ongoing disputes between Big Boy and Sony Records, of which Purple Ribbon was an imprint. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. It's disheartening, though. I get it. You get really fucking frustrated and it's like, what's the point in doing music if I can't fucking release anything? Yeah. I mean, how many times have we told that story? Yeah. Eventually, Mike left Purple Ribbon and independently released a trilogy of albums called the Pledge Series. Hmm. But the complications he kept running into with the music industry left him beaten down and demoralized. Hit-hungry executives, shelved albums, money-mongering labels all left Mike with depression and increasing dependency on drugs and repeated infidelity. Oh. Yeah. Mike. Mike. Unicorn Mike. No. (laughs) Stop. In the meantime, nearly 900 miles away in Brooklyn, New York, LP was struggling at his own musical crossroads. Born Jamie Maline on March 2nd, 1975, LP had a much different upbringing than Killer Mike. Pisces. But they ended up in the same place at the same time. Jamie grew up in a musical household. His mother, Nan, was an ad agency copywriter and his father, Harry Maline, worked on Wall Street. And he moonlighted as a jazz pianist that performed under the name Harry Keys. 
<laughs> I, my brain no. has gone to so many different places. No, I did the same thing. I was like, Harry Keys. Harry Keys. Like, you changed your piano. last name. You couldn't change your first name. Harry Keys. <laughs> Tickle in these Harry Keys. I'm just gonna uh. give these Harry Keys a little scratch behind the ears. <laughs> yeah, make it feel nice. These Harry Keys. <laughs> But that meant Nan was left to raise Jamie and his sisters mostly alone. And this was especially true after Jamie's parents split up. Mm. Nan remarried in the 80s to a man named Scott Bivens, who sounds like a massive piece of fucking shit. Oh, so it's a it's not like cool stepdad like what Mike had. Yeah, it's no. more like you're not my real dad, Scott. Um, worse than that. Way worse. Oh, I don't wanna. Ooh. One night in nineteen eighty seven when Jamie was twelve, Scott and Nan got into a fight. Okay. And it was really bad. Okay. Fights were not unusual and Nan was often beaten at the hands of her husband, but this time things went too far. Scott beat Nan nearly to death Jesus. while Jamie and his sister listened, huddled together in their bedroom. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, I found one, like, I don't know if it was a blog post or if he wrote it for a magazine or something, but he described this night and it was, like, horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Jesus. The next day, Nan returned home early from work and changed all the locks in the house. Good. They never saw Scott Bivens again, but Jamie harbored an extreme hatred for his ex-stepfather for years. Oh, yeah. No. I'm. You know what? I'm right there with him. I'm pretty sure he had PTSD. Of course. Yeah. Like, that's such a young, formative age to go through something so fucking traumatizing. Yeah. Especially when you're on the brink of puberty. Ugh. You probably have so much fucking angst period energy and emotions you don't know what to do with these yeah, things so why not focus it on the piece of shit that nearly killed your mom yeah that's a good idea i would too i like that i like that plan yeah we're doing it this incident along with the abuse he saw his mother subjected to turned jamie into an angstville juvenile delinquent who was kicked out of two high schools before he was even 15 wow i'm almost impressed yeah. like i shouldn't be but I kind of am. Two is quite a lot. Right? That's like before 15. That's quite a delinquency. Yeah. Good Good job. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about no, this. No, I'm going to say no. Not a good yeah. job. I mean, like, Bad no, job. Don't, don't do that. Bad job. But also like, wow. But also I get, I get it. I get it. I get it. It was obvious that traditional schooling wasn't working out, so Jamie got his GED, and at only 16, he entered the Center for Media Arts in Manhattan, where he studied audio engineering. Well, shit, he turned that around real fucking quick. Worked out. Wow. This was priceless education, because later on, he would become one of the most sought-after producers in hip-hop. Really? Yeah. I didn't really ever realize that. Oh, his solo career is great. Oh, okay. I'm about to get it. Are you about to tell me about it? After leaving the Center for Media Arts, Jamie made connections in the New York area that would lead to the formation of the hip-hop group Company Flow. He met Mr. Len, a DJ from the Bronx, that Jamie hired to play at his 17th birthday party, <laughs> which is so like my sweet 16. I know. Mm, can you please play at my 17th birthday party? <laughs> They're like, going to be beers and bitches. I'm not old enough for that, sir. 
But yes, there will be beers and bitches. No, there 100% will Absolutely. be. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Together, they released their first single, Juvenile Technique, in 1992. So long ago, such baby. I know. I'm like, I want, what does the sound like? Does it, is that like New Jack swing in it? <laughs> no, I mean, it's just like, it, it sounds like really early LP. All right. Basically. Just a little baby doing his thing. Yeah. The duo became a trio when hip-hop artist Big Just joined the group. Naturally, Jamie had to change his name, too. He already had... To Harry Microphone. (laughs) Harry Picks. Harry... Harry Strings? Harry... Harry Turntables. Harry (laughs) Turntables. We got a winner. Yep. That's it. You know it's a winner when we say it at the same time. Harry Turntables. I love it. No. Okay. No, that's not it at all. He already had the nickname Lyrical Punisher, which led to LP, as in the letter L, the letter P, which led to El Producto, which then became LP, as in E-L hyphen P. Okay. It's, It's a long... I like it. He's got a lot going on. Wait, you never explained how Killer Mike got his name. I don't know how Killer Mike got his name. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying like Killer Mike is catchy, but he's like the complete opposite of a killer. I'm going to start a change.org petition for him to change <laughs> his name to Unicorn Mike. <laughs> Can we just tweet at him? Will that work? Change it to Unicorn Mike. Also listen to our episode on you. And he'll be like, no. <laughs> Thank you. But Thank no. you, but no. No not gonna happen this led to the release of company flow's debut ep fun crusher in 1996 which reminds me of uh mayhem's first album i forgot the name. Uh, something crusher soul crusher death crusher death crusher that's it it made a splash on the alternative hip-hop scene, causing a bidding war between major record labels. Ooh. But the group decided to sign with upstart Raucous Records, spelled R-A-W-K-U-S. Oh, yeah. Raucous. Raucous. We're raucous. We're from Brooklyn. I don't know if they're from Actually, Brooklyn. Actually, you kind of, you know who you kind of reminded me of? Huh? The Artful Dodgers cousin <laughs> in Brooklyn. Oi! Raucous <laughs> Records! I'm Artful Dodger! <laughs> Hey, hey, I'm the Alpha Dodgers cousin in Brooklyn. Hey. Hey, I'm walking in. It's raucous records. All right? Fucking. Let's go get a point at the pub. All right. All right, Alpha Dodger. We got to stop. Oh, I'm sorry. I really like this. We cannot pull out the Artful Dodger in every episode. It gets old, I promise. (laughs) <laughs> but not to us, but I'm sure to everybody else. <laughs> As I look around the room, I'm like, but I'm gonna. <laughs> a full-length album called Fun Crusher Plus was then released, which was critically acclaimed, and some even called it the most important album of 1997. Shit. I don't know where I was. Yeah. In my, um, I'm, I'm I was listening sure. to Mariah Carey and Boys to Men. That's, yeah, that's what and I was Spice doing. Girls. Yeah. Did they come out in 97? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Spice sure Girls. The success of the album allowed LP to quit his job at the Tower Records mail order department. Oh. High high flying right there. Is that just like the Columbia House wing? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh no. Yeah. 
But inevitably, disputes between Company Flow and Raucous developed, with the group accusing the label of neglect and financial dishonesty. Wait, Big what? surprise. No way. No, record na- labels never do that. No. Company Flow dropped the label, and L created his own independent label called Definitive Jux. All right. Short for Definitive Jux juxtapositions oh uh, you know what i was thinking you were gonna say juxtaposition yeah but you stopped so it's like did she it was jux? originally called deaf jux but then um what's his face from deaf jam uh, sued him what no saying that the name was too similar no way so then he changed it to definitive jux <sighs> sure anyway the not group, enough money uh, not enough the group only released one more album of instrumental music before calling it quits, but the hmm. Definitive Jux label became a major player in the alternative hip-hop world after signing acts like Aesop Rock and Cannibal Ox. Oh, shit. In 2001, Company Flow officially disbanded, and LP was out on his own. The next year, he released his first solo album, Fantastic Damage, too much critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. With Fantastic Damage, LP proved himself a force to be reckoned with, not just in alternative hip-hop, but in the rap scene in general. Mm-hmm. He was also able to use his album as therapy in a way. His mm-hmm. aggressive style of rapping was a release of sorts, and songs like Stepfather Factory helped him deal with the pain of his stepfather's abuse. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet. He had a couple songs about his stepfather and he was and after he wrote Stepfather Factory, that was kind of like the thing that released him from all of those years of like, you know, the juvenile delinquent aggression mm. that he just had festering in him. Do you think his uh stepfather ever like heard these songs or knows what happened with LP? I doubt it. Yeah, he probably doesn't give a fuck. Seems like a piece of shit, but and I also, hope he's dead, so. Yeah, you know what? Maybe he doesn't know, because he's dead. Could be. That's that's the new canon. Fuck you, Scott Bivens. What kind of name is Scott Bivens, anyway? A dumb one. If you thought Bro would get complacent and follow up Fantastic Damage with a rehash of the same album, you'd be wrong. Okay, I guess I'm wrong. He switched gears completely and made a jazz fusion record called High Water, released in 2004. So crazy. What? Yeah. Okay. Because why not? He's LP. Why not? So he also knew how to play instruments in addition to being able to rap. I think he does. he just like... But when it came to High Water, he wrote everything, but he did not... I don't think he played anything. So he was the composer, the writer, and he had other musicians come in and actually play. That's just as legit. Yeah. I'm just curious. He fell back to his roots for his next proper studio album, I'll Sleep When You're Dead, released on March 20th, 2000, 2007. I mean, how many people have we said that about? I'll sleep when you're dead. Yeah. But also, this album is fucking amazing. Oh, is this that album? This is the album that got me into LP. You were like, this is it. Yeah. I'm hooked. And I have to give a shout out to my longtime friend, Chris, who got me into LP. And he and I went to an LP show in New York City like around this time when he was touring for I'll Sleep When You're Dead. When you guys were just little babies. Just a baby. And it was, it's the only fucking hip hop show I've ever been to. And it was so much fun. It was so good. 
He is an amazing performer. I bet, too, because it was like a smaller venue. Yeah, I think it was like uh, Hammerstein Ballroom, I think. Oh, I love... Actually, shows at Hammerstein are great. And I think that's the only show I've seen at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, that is a good it place to go. It was a legit fucking show. Yeah. No, I believe it. Yeah. And Aesop Rock and Cage opened for him. Ooh. So good. Yeah. Super duper good. But yeah, this album is amazing. It is LP's most commercially successful album, and there's good reason for that. Heavy with aggressive lyrics and beats, LP lays out sci-fi written lyrics that speak on religion, fear of flying, past traumas, drug addiction, and depression, interladen with loud drum beats and even Ron Burgundy samples. If Wh- you <laughs> so the song Smithereens in the beginning, it has a uh, a sample of uh, Will Ferrell as Ron Burgundy going nice. just like Wah. just making these really <laughs> funny noises and uh, there's a song called Flyantology that has Trent Reznor on it yes the last song on the album has Cat Power on it so like oh, he has like connections to like people of all sorts in all different kinds of genres that are absolutely willing to come on and work with him because he's just such a good producer and writer. Damn. He's great. for you, LP. A year after the release of I'll Sleep When You're Dead, LP was dealt a huge blow when his good friend, rapper and producer Taro Smith, known by his stage name Camu Tao, which took me a long time to realize that this guy's stage name is a play on camel toe. When you said it, I'm like, was she trying not to say camel toe? No, it's camu, C-A-M-U, tau, T-A-O. Yeah, camel toe. Camel toe. Oh, yeah, no, I was there. Yeah. That's immediately yeah. where I went. But That's on purpose. Good to know. Good to know. But, uh, yeah, his friend Taro Smith passed away from lung cancer at only 30 years old. What? Yeah. That's so young. Super fucking young. Jeez. LP was heavily influenced by Camus and collaborated on side projects with him, so he had a really hard time with his passing. Of course. And I mean, yeah, that's so young. Yeah. I get it. That's fucking terrifying. That's sad. I very, very much understand what that's like, and it fucking sucks. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. L already had problems with drug addiction and depression, and this point in his life was particularly difficult. He had put definitive jux on hiatus in 2010 after realizing he was pretty disillusioned with its roster and the fans' reactions to it becoming too, quote-unquote, niche. Hmm. It was, like, it was the definitive, like, alternative hip-hop label. Okay. So, that was mostly the kind of artist that he had signed to it. So people were kind of starting to be like, well, you guys are like kind of elitist because you have all of these, this all of the samey same kind of artists on it. And, you know, which wasn't really the case. Yeah. It was just people that were looking at it from the outside and not really getting into it. And of course. And they want that's what people do. Excuse for not getting into it, right? So their excuse was, or their excuse um, for just too elitist, yeah, or their excuse for like maybe not liking the music so much anymore, or going in a different direction. So of course they have to blame it on the label. Yep. Camus' death also created tension between the label's artists, 
for some reason, making huh. it all worse. I don't really know what the deal is with that. But no, some people just don't know how to deal with grief. Yeah, that could be it. And then they just get angry. I feel like men especially like just don't know how to deal with grief because they're expected to not grieve. Yeah, so getting mad at everybody else around them is kind of a, a thing. Yeah. Hmm. It's not good and you don't have to do it. Just letting you know. <laughs> Toxic masculinity doesn't have to be a thing you can, anymore. You can have emotions and You're talk allowed. about them. You know what? Well, you have it. You yeah. can have emotions. Yeah. So stepping down as the label's creative director and putting it all on hold was the best thing for him to do. Yeah. To deal with these major life blows, LP did what helped him best. He worked on music. In 2009, he announced his next album would be called Cancer for Cure and Aww. would be dedicated to Camus. Aww. The album wouldn't be released until 2012, and in the meantime, L would make a connection that would define his career going forward. Oh, I wonder who this is going to be. I don't know. Oh, my god! We didn't have any spoilers up until this nope. point. Nope. I have no idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> I mean, I kind of don't. Kind of. <laughs> LP and Killer Mike were introduced by mutual friend and Adult Swim executive Jason DeMarco in 2011. What? It's so weird because Run the Jewels is like intertwined with Adult Swim since the beginning. I did not know that. And Adult Swim uh, kind of would premiere a lot of their singles like first before they would hit radio or anything. I don't think I've ever noticed that. I I don't have Cartoon Network, so I don't know. Right. Otherwise, I would know. But yeah, they're like super intertwined with the whole William Street Productions crew. Like, absolutely. That's awesome, though. It it makes so much sense. Mm. But I'll get to that anyway. Okay. They hit it off and LP brought Killer Mike in to collaborate on the song Tougher, Colder, Killer for L's Cancer for Cure album. Okay. And Killer Mike was impressed enough with LP to ask him to produce a song for his upcoming album. They did the song together, and they realized that they got along really well. And together, they were brewing some musical magic. So then Killer Mike was basically like, okay, so you're producing the whole album, right? (laughs) And I was like, no, I'm not at all. (laughs) And Killer Mike was like, no, you're producing the whole album. (laughs) So he did. (laughs) No, I I wasn't planning. I wasn't going to. But you're doing it. But I don't know if that's really something I I want. I just. You but do, I think you're doing it. Oh, I guess I'm doing it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in 2012, both LP's Cancer for Cure and Killer Mike's all LP produced RAP music, which stands for Rebellious African People. Nice. Were released within weeks of each other. And both albums were heralded as the best of the year. And that wasn't lost on the boys. They realized that they not only had musical chemistry, but they had found best friends in each other, and that wasn't going to go to waste. LP and Killer might be being best, best friends, friends creating some rap songs, the fun never ends. <laughs> After touring together in support of their respective solo albums, the two came together to form Run the Jewels. There you go. We said it. We said Run we said the, the Jewels. Name. That's the name of the episode, Run <laughs> the Jewels. Pew, pew, pew. Do they explain where they got the name from? Yes. <gasps> That's exactly what I'm going to tell you right now. Lead in. They got their name from the LL Cool J song, Cheesy Rat Blues, and it is a slang term for a stick up. I... That's why their logo is one hand holding 
uh, golden chain and the other one is in the shape of a gun next to it. Like, stick them up. I did not know any of this. Yeah. Now you know. You know what? I learned something today. I can see that star comet going over your head and it says the more you know. (laughs) Writing songs went amazingly and as the two rappers were on the same wavelength when it came to left-wing politics, anti-capitalism, criticizing politicians on both sides of the aisle, and of Mm. course, dick jokes. Yes! (laughs) Lots of dick jokes. (laughs) It's always really weird to me because I have Close Your Eyes and Count to Fuck. Yeah. On my uh, running playlist. Because they're fucking great song to run to. Yeah. And it is always really weird because I'll listen to it. And there's so much like socio-economical commentary. And they talk so much about the prison system. So I'm running. And I'm like, prison system. Let me think about the prison system. <laughs> like, and I'm like sweating my balls off trying like, to no, do a run. And I'm the like, the prison system. And I'm like, I don't know if this is motivating me or making me sad. <laughs> But then they have a song like, Oh My Darling, and like some of the first lyrics that LP says are like, you can run naked backwards through a field of dicks. dicks. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. So good. But they make it mean something, which is crazy. And for what it's worth, because it's funny because you say how um, Killer Mike doesn't like the song uh, he did. Adidas. Adidas. Mm -hmm. Um. Because listening through their discography and they have Love Again, which is like, you know, like, oh, you want my dick in your mouth, like, all the time. And I'm kind of like, I mean, they seem like they're being at least, like, mostly respectful to the woman. They want to make sure she's pleasured as well. And then they have, I forgot the name of the woman who raps on it, but then she's like, you want to put my clit in your mouth? And I'm like, yeah, they are such equal opportunity. Opportunity rap. How how progressive are these boys? It's like, it's not like I'm just fucking bitches and slapping them. It's like, we're going to have amazing consensual sex. Like, you're going to have my dick in your mouth because you want it there. And I want it yeah. to be there. And I'm but also, also gonna... I'm going to be happy to have your clit in my mouth. Yeah. Like, this is like two consenting adults having really nice sex. But it's <laughs> also still sexy. And yeah. also, everyone still sounds like a badass. And it turns also still kind of hardcore. So. Yeah. Turns out you don't have to beat women and, like, make them and feel like sub- nothing. And objectify and subje- them and subject them to you know gross humiliating violence to like be a badass turns out you can have consensual sex and get the woman off (laughs) my god (laughs) who would have thought women have only been complaining about this forever yeah and always well i'm glad somebody's finally realized it i like that yeah On June 26, 2013, Run the Jewels' self-titled debut album was released on Fool's Gold Records as a free download, which would become a trend with all of their albums. Mm -hmm. It was well-received and was the perfect album to appeal to the Cartoon Network slash Adult Swim audience, which I feel like is kind of their niche. Well, and they do a lot of ads with hip-hop music and now you say them like i bet it was mostly run the jewels music anytime they were about to release an album those bumps would be uh run the jewels that's awesome i'm gonna have to go back and like do like a youtube deep dive on of all the bumps that adult swim has ever done in like any year that they were releasing an album i I haven't had cable since like 2012 oh yeah 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 me either so (laughs) i wouldn't know i don't know 
The duo would continue to be affiliated with Adult Swim and William Street Productions through their career, making sure their music was marketed to the audience that would be most likely to hear it. Right. And, like, and want to hear it. Yeah. The, like, that's the audience that they want. You know, they want... Kind of nerdy, but, like, but, also cool people. But I think it's nerdy in the sense of they want people who are... You know, they're willing to think for themselves. They Fucking are, millennials our age, basically. Yeah, or even zennials. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, right? Gen Z? Yeah, zennials. Yeah. Like, they, our age and younger are definitely free thinkers who are willing to hear a message in a song and get curious yeah. and look things up. Who also like cartoons and video games. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, on a 36-inch chain... They even sample video game noises. Oh, yeah. It's great. It is. It's really fucking good. <laughs> Run the Jewels 2 was released on October 24th, 2014. Once again, to critical acclaim, because of course. Yeah. Duh. The fun thing about this album was that a remix album called Meow the Jewels, comprised of their songs made up of cat noises, was released a year later. Meow, 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 meow. It's so funny. Actually, they use like purring noises and meows yeah. and they use it like at first I saw I'm like, it's going to be fucking terrible. But I listened to him like, no, oh, this is kind of legit. They even sampled Little Bub. They Excuse do. me, oh. Little Bub. Little Bub. Yeah. Adorable. Ripperoni. Little Bub. <sighs> I miss Little Bub. When the original album was released, the guys made fun of crowdfunding sites like Kickstarter by offering like stretch goal remix albums like and this was one of them and they didn't think that like it would ever be made but that's so fucking funny but then they re they like requested forty thousand dollars for it thinking like we're we're never gonna get nobody's never well they i want you to look at the audience you like to advertise to you're advertising to adult adult swim maniac which is also a lot of dinks yeah or just even sinks (laughs) <laughs> what? well dual income no kids single income uh, no kids like you're looking at adults with like full-time fucking jobs and expendable cash expendable cash and they're like like oh my god i remember during covid when i was making that sweet sweet like emer- hazard pay hazard pay i was like oh yeah i was spending my money on dumbass shit everywhere i I'm was like, not just spending yeah, my money i was donating my money too I mean, so. yes i was also donating my money but, <laughs> but like, like we had expendable cash yes. at that point because like you know bills went on pause yeah and we were getting we were still getting paid or mm-hmm. we were working from home and still getting paid and getting hazard money yes. so like we had expendable stuff because we were of the age range that could have expendable right. money. So, yeah, whenever I would see, uh, you know, just silly campaigns from art, especially from artists that I liked, like um, like a, a con that me and Jeremy like to go to, MAGFest, you know, mm-hmm. they were looking for money or like just an indie band that you really like. It's oh, just I was giving money, money to bands, too. I'd oh, be yeah. like, yeah, I guess I'll buy this T-shirt from this band I like that I'm never going to wear because... Yeah. I, I have money. I'm going to give it to you. Or like, oh, I like this artist. I'll buy a couple prints. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I've got this. So, yes. The fact that they were like, no one's going to fund this. It's like, bitch. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> millennials have disposable income sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. And love cats most times. <laughs> so, yes. So, yeah. They requested $40,000. They got $60,000. Damn. <laughs> And then they announced that they would be donating the money to charity 
Because it was supposed to be a joke in the first place. So all proceeds from Meow the Jewels went to charity as well. That's lovely. That's very nice. It is very nice. They went back into the studio in January 2015 to begin recording their next album while still promoting RTJ2. Dag. And they played lots of festivals in 2015, most of which Travis Barker from Blink-182 joined as their drummer. Interesting. Which is a draw for some people, I guess. You know, I have to throw it out there. I learned, like, little nuggets about Travis Barker here and there. He seems actually like a pretty decent dude. I guess. I don't know. know He's dating a Kardashian now, so. You know what? Like, whatever. I guess. Like, is is he dating a lesser Kardashian? Mm -hmm. He's dating the oldest one. Okay. arguably is maybe the better one? I don't don't know. know. She dated Scott Disick and has children with him, so that was a bad choice. Yeah. I guess anybody at that point. After him is a step up. You know what? I don't necessarily dislike the Kardashians. Like, as people, I just wish we would stop giving a shit. Because here's the thing. If we stop giving a shit, then they just kind of turn into just regular rich people. Yeah, I do appreciate what Kim Kardashian is trying to do. Yes. Now with, like, her whole, like, law... Prisoner... Prisoner... um, Prison reform... Yes, that's the baby. I don't really know what she's trying to do. Is she becoming a lawyer? I don't know. (laughs) Sure. Kim Kardashian, lawyer at law. (laughs) New adult (laughs) You know what? I would have so much respect. I would love that. Can we do that? If she was just like. she was the new Harvey Birdman. Yeah. Kim Kardashian. Hear our (laughs) prayer. Uh, Okay. Yeah. In between all of this, Killer Mike found some time to get to know presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. Yup. And this is how I really learned about Killer Mike. Yeah. It was during during, uh, (laughs) Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign. Mikey and Bernie being best friends. friends. Okay. These guys. in the fucking capital (laughs) society that we live in and we need to burn it down. Yeah, pretty much. That's a good summation. These guys became pretty fucking tight, doing interviews and appearances together, showing that old white dudes and young black dudes can be on the same extremely progressive page. And I'm here for it. Yeah. Even after Bernie lost the 2016 and 2020 primaries, Mike was there to support him and further in his message. Right? And that's something nice to see from people just in general. Like... Don't abandon your candidate just because he didn't win. Just like no, I will still one hundred percent support Bernie. Like I'm not. His message is what I believe in. Yes, and even if he's not the presidential candidate or the president, he still he still makes good fucking points. I know, and like I said, you know, earlier when you were talking about how eloquent Killer Mike is and all of his passion in politics and just all these reforms. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I have seen many an interview with Killer Mike on, like, news outlets and stuff talking about Bernie and talking about why Bernie's the best candidate and, like, the things that need to change. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting, too, because it's not even like Killer... I'm going to say it. I think some people could look at Killer Mike and be like, oh, he's just saying that because, like, he thinks he's disenfranchised because he's black or something. Oh, yeah, I sure. think there are, there are people who would think that. And it's like, and I he think- actually had a totally, like pretty great upbringing like and he had a good childhood but he understands oh yeah how fucked this country is because oh, yeah. his 
family encouraged free thought and education and getting involved in politics in your community. Yeah. And also, like, don't take no shit from, you know, white people that are trying to oppress you. Yeah. You know? But also, like, understand your situation that you're in. Yeah. Like, survive, basically. As a black man, you just need to survive. And these are the steps you need to take in order to survive, which is just a bullshit thing that anybody has to teach their kid in the first place. Like, no one should have to live like that. Right. Regardless of, you know, race, color, gender, etc. But he did do those steps in order to be here today to tell people, this is what I had to do and it's fucked. Yeah. And this is what we need to do to change it. And especially because he is just such a, like, he's just a good dude. And the fact, I mean... The fact that anyone should have to fear. I think a lot of people could look at him and see a big black guy. Whose name is Killer Mike. Whose name is Killer Mike and be fucking scared. Yeah. And he totally acknowledges that. But everyone that has ever come in contact with him has been like, he's the exact fucking opposite of that. And if that's your first impression upon meeting him, then you're fucked. Yeah. Then you need to look at yourself. Then that is on you. And you need to, you have issues that you need to work on because you did not take the time to actually like talk to this person. Right. You are working on like physical impressions and that's it. But yeah, like you said, he is, he is very eloquent, and I really liked watching him work with Bernie, especially because it's just this little old white dude. He fucking loves him. I know. Oh, God. Why do I not have more fan art of Killer Mike know. and Bernie Sanders? Oh, that's so cute. I know. Yeah. I gotta go hunt that down. Run the Jewels 3, their third album, if you couldn't tell. What? Was digital... Re- <laughs> Was digitally released on Christmas Eve 2016 with physical copies released three weeks later. Mm. And fun fact, LP used a Yamaha CS80 synthesizer to record this album and he bought it from Eddie Van Halen. What? Yeah. Totally random. The fuck? Ripperoni Eddie Van Halen. Ripperoni Eddie Van Halen. But wow. Yeah. RTJ3 was much more difficult to make and took much longer to record than their first two albums. Not only were the stakes higher, but the U.S. was in turmoil. Mm -hmm. A spate of police killings of unarmed black men had started and the lead up to the 2016 election was in full swing. Mm -hmm. All of this made Killer Mike so emotionally drained that he sometimes couldn't make the trip to LP's upstate New York studio to record. Upstate New York, though. I'm sorry. I should say, quote unquote, upstate because is it Westchester? <laughs> it's Garrison, New York, which is, I think it's Putnam, but it could be Westchester. It's basically around West Point. Well, he's earned it. Yeah, I, I to any of us in our area, that would not be upstate. No. But from where I'm from, that would be considered upstate <laughs> because it is upstate from New York City. Don't come for me. (laughs) Shut up. Or don't come for me. I don't know. (laughs) You know what? I don't know. Technically, that's not upstate. You know who's not coming for us? Buffalo. (laughs) (laughs) Buffagetlo. Getlo. But that's that's sad. But it's also understandable, too, that Mike is just, I am so in the thick of this shit right now. I can't think about music. Yeah. 
None of us could think about music. All of us were in the shit. And he's still living in Atlanta, which is definitely far more of a hot spot than Garrison, New York is. So, (laughs) So, like, yeah, I get it. Being in the South in 2016 was much different than being in New York in 2016. Yeah, seriously. But this also meant that their lyrics evolved and matured considering the plethora of bullshit going on in the world that they could comment on. Oh, I bet. The production matured as well due to financial security afforded to them because their previous albums were doing so well. Mm. Granted, they basically gave their albums away as free downloads, but their tours were so successful that all their money was made from ticket and merch sales. I would shit my pants if I could see an RTJ show. Right? We should look that up. They might be touring. Maybe. This emotionality allowed them to figure out how to present themselves as a cohesive unit, strengthening their bond and making the music that much more urgent. Mm. Out on tour, they were truly a duo as opposed to just Killer Mike and LP. Oh, they do have a great flow. They do. Like, their songs are seamless. And the th- crazy thing is, is that I'm I'm far more familiar with LP's solo work than I am with Killer Mike's. Mm-hmm. But, like, I still, like, LP still has the same flow that he did on his solo albums. And from what I can, what I can tell, Killer Mike still has his. Mm. But they both, like, they're like jigsaw puzzle pieces that interlock perfectly. Oh. Their, their flows are just magic together just an otp yeah they toured for more than a year for rtj3 doing over a hundred shows all over the world they were drained when it was over and mike took a break reveling in quiet hobbies like fishing and gardening and flying his plane and flying planes and and, you know and just being awesome and i would eat his veggies yeah i bet you would i would eat his veggies. you know though i would eat his veggies LP's version of a break was more recording, this time composing the score for the movie Capone, as well as getting married to his girlfriend, Emily Panic. I like her name. Yeah. Emily Panic. Yeah, it's a good name. He should take her name. <laughs> Jamie Panic. I love that. I hope That's he took cute. her name. But also, do you L- mean L. Cap- Panic? L. Panic! <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Yes. No, did he wrote music for that Capone movie. Like, was that the one with. Um, Oh my God! What's his face? Tom Hardy, where he played like Al Capone, who just shit on himself the whole time. <laughs> like literally. Yeah, no. Like it was a Netflix movie or something, right? And, yeah, it might be that it one. It came out. I think it was supposed to come out in theaters, but then COVID. So then it was just on Netflix. All I know is like there are a lot of scenes of just like because it's like Al Capone as he's dying, and like <laughs> he just constantly I think he had like himself. I think he had like syphilis or something. I don't even remember. He was just or dementia. Or he probably Alzheimer's. had all of it. He had all of it, but like he was yeah as he's like dying, he would just be sitting there like and he just shits on himself. <laughs> Side note, I've never seen the I'm movie. I'm sorry, wait, who played Capone? Tom Hardy. <laughs> I want to see Tom Hardy. I heard this is a really <laughs> shitty movie. Get out. Get the fuck out. Look, I've never seen it. I've just, I actually believe I listened to our friends at So Wizard Podcast <laughs> review it, and all I know is that it's very bad. I, I'm. It sounds quite shitty ah. but i hear the soundtrack is dope all right so. well now i'm gonna go listen maybe maybe we should watch it maybe 
you can make fun of it and just make fart noise and listen to the sweet soundtrack. Uh, okay. The duo's next album, Run the Jewels 4, was released on June 3rd, 2020. A timely, Ooh. a timely release, considering the turmoil the U.S. was deep into at that time. Right before the release, the Black Lives Matter movement went into full swing after the May 25th murder of George Floyd, and protests erupted all over the United States, often ending in cities on fire. Mm-hmm. Only days after George Floyd's death, Killer Mike made a speech at the Atlanta mayor's press conference that would really polarize their fans. Really? I, did you not hear about this? No. I definitely heard about this quite a bit, and like people were just all up in arms over it. It's, I mean, on top of just this, the incredible... Um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but just the incredible feeling, I guess, going around during that time. It's just like we were we had COVID. Mm-hmm. We're all freaking out about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was such a fucking nightmare time. It was a nightmare time, but also I just feel like I miss news of, here and there. I kind of felt like right when that happened was when all of the protests started happening around the country, and we were kind of part of that. Yeah, in our own area. It was something, it was, a, it was a good thing to pour energy out into. Yeah. There was definitely a feeling of urgency, but mm. in a progressive way. Yeah. No, in a good, it, it felt like a good cause and it felt, there were parts of it that kind of felt, I, I don't want to say good, but just. Like we were actually doing something and yeah, people were actually and coming listening. together. Yeah. And that there is there is a nice there was a comfort in that, and there was comfort in knowing that it was happening all over the U.S. So it wasn't just like a Northeast thing or a West Coast thing. Yeah. Like we're it all was fucking pissed, fucking everywhere. Right. Yeah. So, as we mentioned before, Killer Mike grew up with a police officer father. Yep. He got to see both sides of the coin, both what it was like growing up as a black man and how to survive encounters with the police, but also the hardships that came along with being a police officer. In his speech, which was unplanned and completely off the cuff, he acknowledged the respect he has for police, as well as the fact that he just watched a black man die at the hands of a white cop again. Yep. He then continued to denounce the rioting and burning being done by protesters. Oh, I do remember this. Yes, because that is all the media focused on. Yes. That is it. He he had a whole long ass speech. This was the only part that anybody ever focused on, which yeah. is bullshit. Especially because most of that was started by white people who yes. would come in to make it look like it was black people yeah, people or that like the weren't protesters. Even, people that weren't even part of the protest beforehand. The just like bad actors that were coming in, starting fires, fucking booking it. Yep. He said so much more than this, but that's what people focused on. Yeah. So people got mad as if he was defending the police when really he was effectively calling for change. Mm hmm. Go read the transcript of his whole speech. It's amazing. Okay. Com- especially for being completely off the cuff and not written out beforehand. Mm-hmm. It it will absolutely show you the kind of intelligence that we're talking about with this dude. Yeah. Thankfully, this had no effect on RTJ4's release, which peaked at number 10 on the Billboard 200. I'm actually really surprised it didn't peak higher. Yeah. But I mean, it cracked the top 10. All right. I'll take it. 
the album pretty much got universal praise, especially from this gal. <laughs> <laughs> you were all about that album I last fucking, summer. Ooh La La was like jam of the summer last year. Mm. Songs featured heavyweights like Mavis Staples, yep. Zach De La Roca, yep. Two Chains, and even Josh Homme. I know. That was awesome. He and Mavis Staples were on the same fucking song. It's yeah. fantastic. And that showed how truly widespread their range is. Mm -hmm. The lyrics were topical, emotional, and current. And the musical competition is layered deep and intriguing. And this could be said about any of their albums. But RTJ4, I think, is especially well-rounded and cohesive. And I think especially it came out at the perfect time. Oh, yeah. Because what better album, what better music was there to just put your angst and grief yeah. and anger I think into. It, it really was a really good soundtrack for Black Lives Matter Summer. Yeah. You yeah. Know? No, seriously. It was very cathartic. Yeah. And for now, despite the fact that RTJ4 did so well, Run the Jewels is still in the musical periphery. Maybe that's because their raps are so politically charged or because they're not afraid to call out hypocrites. Mm. They have no real desire to be counted among today's hip-hop elites, and they're not even really demanding anyone's respect. They are simply two dudes with enormous talent that happen to find their creative other half and BFF in their 40s and are grateful for being able to do what they love. Yeah, I'm grateful too. And I am very much in love with their friendship. It's, yes. It's very sweet and it, like beyond complimentary. Yo, Tumblr, where you at? Do you have a bunch of like sweet like fan art of just Oh, LP can we do some slash fiction? Because I'm just, here for it. I don't need to slash fanfic. <laughs> I just want pictures of them like being best friends together. Aww. And like cute little chibi versions of yes. them. Yes, like they're like a Sam and Dean duo. <sighs> So I don't want them to fuck. I just want them to be best friends. Yeah, they can hold hands sometimes. Yeah, oh, yeah, holding hands is fine. You're, like that, they have that ain't to gay. hold hands. That's, oh, okay. It's delightful. Well, okay. Here's the rule: they have to hold hands. They have to. But also, I do need that Killer Mike Bernie Sanders fan <laughs> art too. But also, can we have that too? I just fucking love it. I He's love such it. a cuddly fucking bastard. Yeah, I love seriously. It. I would. I would. Yeah, they strike me as people I would love to be friends with because you could just hang out. Have mm -hmm. a good time. Have intelligent conversations. Have a nice whiskey drink. Yep. You can go smoke some pot if that's your deal. Mm -hmm. And then you can have some fun. It's great. And just have a good time and just like hang out. Yeah. And it seems so far that they both have gotten over their like hard drug like deals. Yeah. And it's just like drinking and smoking and that's it. Honestly, what else do you need? You don't need much else. I really don't need anything else. I'm yeah. good. That's why I'm like legalize everything. I don't give a fuck anymore. Legalize it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank yeah, you for that's that. That's the relatively short and very nice history of Run the Jewels. Yes, I love it. Oh, that was like a pretty uplifting story. Nice. This was a nice story. We had some dips, we had some highs, we had some lows, but ultimately, like, I think they're in a good place, and I am very excited to hear more music from them right they are still an ongoing group and yeah. we will still get more information and it doesn't seem them. like they have any intentions of stopping good anytime soon like good. they seem like they've really hit their groove they're into it they're doing it and this is just what they're doing now they're into their groove and they don't need to prove that they're anything good to use. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> well that's about it for yeah. us here i think that's a good place to put a little bow in it yep 
Thank you all so much for listening. We hope you guys liked this. Sorry, it's uh, it's pretty uh, politically charged and uh, very social justice warrior, progressive. That's us, though. But I kind of feel like if you don't know that about us by now, why are what you the here? fuck are you doing here? What are you, do- what, what are you doing here? Yeah. Yeah. Just go. Go home. Go home. Eat a nice cake. Go <laughs> home. I don't know. I don't... I don't, I don't mean to do you any harm, and I won't. I just, you know, you don't have to be here. I didn't ask you. <laughs> anyway. We yeah. didn't invite you here. We didn't invite you. You invited yourself, which is fine if you're having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I hope you guys liked that. And if you want any more information or listen to more episodes, you can visit our website, rockcandypodcast.com. You can find our social media over there, too. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're terrible at social media, but we have them. (laughs) And you could send us an email with any questions or suggestions on future episodes. Or if you just want to say hi. Or you just want to say hi and be like, hey. We like getting emails. It's nice. Emails are nice. Also, you can get a link to our merch store and Mm -hmm. buy some cool t-shirts or, like, I don't know, a cell phone case. You can get like a, a t-shirt or a notebook or some stickers yeah. with this awesome drawing my friend Chris did of us. Yeah. It's super fucking adorable. Chris, who introduced you to LP. Yes. Yes. Chris is getting so many mentions Chris. Today. I'm going to have to tell him to listen to this. Chris, we talk about you a lot. Chris is a cool guy. Go he is a cool him. guy. And, you know, it's hot. It's hot right now. Get yourself a nice tank top. <laughs> there you go. So or maybe works. like a water bottle. I don't know. Do we have those? We have coffee mugs. Coffee. Get yourself a travel mug. Drink water from it. Yeah. There you go. It's hot out. It is hot out. (laughs) But also, you can donate money to us if you want to on our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. If you do so, you can get some sweet swag. Maybe we'll do an episode where we just meow the whole time. Meow. All meows. Meow, 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 meow. Speaking of meows, we have to shout out. You have to meow out a <laughs> new patron. A new patron. Thank you so much, Shelly. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, meow, meow. Thanks, Shelly. Those are You're cat awesome. air horns. Yeah, cat horns. <laughs> cat air cats. <laughs> Specifically for you. Yes. No, thank you so much. And thank you thank to you. all of our patrons. You all are wonderful. We and love you. And we've got an episode coming out for y'all in like a Ooh, day or yeah. two. A recording boat. that next a so, nice boner episode nice for boner you. Nice boner episode to look forward to. Indeed. So, look forward to that. And if you want to look forward to that, you can become a patron. Otherwise, you can just keep doing what you're doing and yeah. hang out and listen. That's yeah. cool, too. Uh, all right. So, that's it for this week. We'll be back again in two weeks with a, another fun, tasty lick from a, another story from the world of music. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Those are words I just said. Yep. Anyway, uh until then, party on Ashley. Oh, party on Maggie. And party on you crazy kids out there. Ooh la la. Meow meow meow. Meow 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 meow. Oh god. <laughs>